In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we are going to hear a piece from our new metastatic breast cancer issue. You are listening to this, dear listener, a couple months out, but I am recording today on Halloween, and we are so excited because this issue just came out about a week ago. My guest today is not only among the first of the writers from this issue to record with me, but she is returning to the burn for the second time. Quickly, before I introduce her, I just want to give a quick language warning. I always say that cancer is a salty business, and sometimes we have to use salty language to adequately describe the experience of living alongside of it. And today's story does include a little bit of language. So if that is not for you or you have small ears about, just take care of yourself. Now you know. All right, so let's get into it. My guest today is Lori Pomerantz. Lori lives in San Francisco. She is a psychotherapist in private practice, working with teens, young adults, and adults. She serves as a brand advocate at Beauty Counter, a clean skincare and cosmetics company where she is an educator who helps people switch to safer products. Lori was diagnosed at 42 with a combination of inductile or invasive ductal carcinoma, rather, as well as lobular cancer. And at that time, her diagnosis was stage 2B, ER positive. Twelve years later, the cancer returned when Lori was 54. She now lives with metastatic breast cancer. Lori and her husband have been married for 25-plus years and have a 21-year-old son. The three of them love to explore the world together, above and below the water. Lori, welcome to The Burn. Thank you so much for having me, April. It's really an honor to be here. You're so welcome. And I'm so excited about your piece. So I want us to just jump right into it. The essay you wrote, as I said, was just published in our 2023 metastatic breast cancer issue. The theme we were exploring this year was lessons learned. And the essay that you shared with us is called 18% Chance of Light. So I will turn it over to you. Great. Thank you. 18% chance of light. I never looked in the rearview mirror, not once. I had survived the two-year-long harrowing ordeal of mastectomy, chemo, baldness, eyelashlessness, radiation, and its attendant burning and peeling. Implant swap out, infected implant swap out, and 18 days in the hospital at Christmas time when my husband and seven-year-old visited me every day. My son and his friends made paper snowflakes and taped them all over my hospital room in an attempt to bring the holidays to me in that stark gray hospital room 
over the parking lot of garbage dumpsters. Finally, we decided to yank that infected implant so I could get the fuck out of there and get on with life and living. Then I survived 10 years of hormone therapy, monthly shots to turn off my ovaries, all the attendant indignities and disappointments and dryness of every kind. Then there was glorious, triumphant completion of treatment. Back in 2010, my yearly mammogram had missed the five tumors totaling 10 centimeters, such as the plight of those of us with large, dense breasts, just three months before I noticed the strange puckering in my left breast, which turned out to be stage 2B breast cancer with lymph node involvement. As a result of this misdiagnosis, I insisted on an MRI for screening, and I am so grateful that my doctor agreed that this is justifiable caution. The odds of recurrence for my particular type of breast cancer go down dramatically at 10 years of survival. So when I reached the decade marker, I truly felt like a survivor. Nothing left to fear. Cancer was behind me, a challenge that had been faced and finished. I didn't live with even a fiber of my being, believing that it could come back. I was so certain, in fact, that last year I flaked on my routine MRI screening. I was busy living. I was traveling the world, adventuring above and below water, growing as a therapist in private practice, playing and partying, savoring free birding with my husband now that our one and only child was in college. When the doctor's office called and said, we spoke two months ago about you getting your yearly screening MRI done. We notice you haven't scheduled it yet. I reluctantly, and if I'm honest, with a mildly petulant sigh said, fine, I'll get it done. I'm leaving for the Arctic Circle in two weeks. I'll get it done before I go. I scheduled it in hindsight cavalierly for three days before we left to meet our now 20-year-old son in Long Jorben Svalbard, the tip of the world, to see the Northern Lights. It was our son's idea to go there, and we were giddy. Little did we know that this last-minute MRI would show that I, like an Arctic winter night, was lit up inside. Things were growing that weren't supposed to be there. The MRI showed a new tumor. And then, after two rushed days of expedited appointments, during and after hours, prodding, scanning, long needles extracting samples, multiple new tumors revealed themselves in my spine, my clavicle, and my lymph nodes. It was in my damn humorous. I still failed to see the humor in that. There it was. After 12 years of remission from stage 2B breast cancer, I now had stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. After all the severings and traumas and poisons and pills, cancer was back for round two. This time, it really seemed to mean business. And so, we begin again. The call confirming the findings came from my beloved oncologist at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night. We were leaving for Norway at 6 a.m. the next morning. There was no time to process, no time to discuss the way forward, no time to tell my closest people. The only question I could ask was, can I still go on this trip tomorrow? She said, go. Two weeks won't change anything. Let's get you in with me the morning after you land. We hung up and I called in an urgent psychiatry request for Ativan and then went to pick it up at the pharmacy. 
Walgreens, oddly, was closed due to a power outage when I got there. I wanted my brain to have a power outage. Thinking and feeling and catastrophizing was gripping me by the throat. I waited outside on the sidewalk until they reopened an hour later. I was shaking, trembling, and terrified. I desperately wanted those pills to quiet the swirling chaos of my mind. Here, I found myself on the eve of a trip, the trip of a lifetime adventure to the Arctic Circle, with stage four cancer having taken up residence in all kinds of places you don't want cancer to squat. Dreading that this family trip was now going to involve having to tell our son, who was studying abroad for his junior year of college, that I had metastatic breast cancer. When I was studying abroad during my junior year, I got the phone call that my mother had stage four cancer. I flew home the next day. She was gone six months later. This was just too much of history repeating itself for me to believe that anything different would be the case for me. So off we went into the frozen tundra seeking the northern lights to witness the final sunrise of the year before polar night. I had to steel myself a thousand times a day against the grip of sweaty anxiety and paralyzing uncertainty. I was popping out of Anne like jelly beans to be able to rest, to maintain composure, to stop the shaking, to put me back to sleep when I invariably awoke at all hours of the night, thinking about my funeral, deciding who I would ask to speak, stressing about the best venue and what music would be playing. Is Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto too heavy? Is that the mood I want at my funeral? We decided to wait a bit before we told our son. We wanted to enjoy a little bit of a reunion before things got heavy, and we wanted him to see that I was healthy and able to enjoy myself, so that when we did tell him, he didn't get too worried. On the second day of our trip, we went out to lunch, and my husband and I decided that was going to be the time for our conversation. Telling our 20-year-old felt different than when we had to share the cancer news with him when he was seven and we all huddled up on the living room couch. At that time, his reaction to the news had been, whoa, I just feel like, whoa, followed by him staring into space for a moment or two and then saying, want to go outside and play catch? Yes. Yes, I did. This time, we sat in a restaurant in the Arctic Circle. My son ordered something like a moose burger, and I, his vegan mother, had a salad and tried not to be sad about that moose on his plate. Though it was only 10 months ago, I struggled to remember who spoke and what was said. I think my husband, intrepid soul that he is, took the lead and opened the conversation. We have something to share with you. Between the two of us, we let him know that I had been diagnosed with a breast cancer recurrence, that it had spread to other places in my body this time, that it's stage four, that I would be starting treatment when we got home. Once again, Jack sat with an expression of woe on his face. He looked at me and asked how I was feeling. He said I felt amazing and was absolutely stunned that there was anything, quote, wrong inside of me. He said, okay, good, good. Then a pause. Will you be here when I have kids? I tried not to throw up. 
I will do everything in my power to make it so. There is nothing I want more in the world. Okay, good, he responded. Then a switch in tone and energy came. My son, my wise young man, offered the following words. Well, let's not worry about things that haven't happened yet. It won't stop them from happening, and it will just take away our joy today. Nothing has ever made more sense to me. That night, at nearly 1 a.m., we're all awake. We checked the Northern Lights Tracker app, and it said there was an 18% chance of seeing the lights that night. No one was sleepy, so we decided to go for it. Jack had just eaten a reindeer sausage and was full of energy. We donned layer upon layer, neck gaiters, the thickest gloves, with silky liners, wool hats, and snow boots. We headed out in the pitch darkness up the road, up the hill, to the darkest spot in Long Yerbin by the water tower. It was absolutely ice cold, but we were on a mission. Arriving at the top of the mountain, there they were. The luminous green, yellow, and purple swirls. The sky was alive, in motion, and utterly captivating. I have never felt so small, so infinitesimally teeny in comparison to the breadth of the sky lit with colors. It was profoundly comforting to realize that I am just one person, one speck of life in a massive universe of life and light. It made my problems feel minuscule when compared to the grand scale of our planet. It was negative 18 degrees out that night. We had to rip off our gloves to be able to press the button to shoot a photo, then instantly feel the freezing of fingers and race to put our gloves back on. The three of us on the mountaintop, under the dancing sky, was invigorating and transcendent. There was only an 18% chance of seeing the lights that night, and there they were. It filled me with hope that sometimes good things happen against long odds, not just bad things. We walked down the icy road, heading back to get some sleep. It was nearly 3 a.m. My son and I held hands as we walked. The sense of awe, coupled with the love and connection I felt, having my hand in his, my husband behind us, bearing witness to this tenderness, filled me with immense peace. I felt loved safe, and held by the universe. Upon my return from the northernmost reaches of our globe, the very morning after landing back home in San Francisco, I met with the oncologist. I learned more about the cancer inside of me, crucially, that it was slow growing. I learned that we had caught this progression early, and I received my first dose of the treatment that will create inhospitable conditions for continued growth hugging my doctor who shed tears with me that this was happening, having a plan, having medication in my blood, having facts to speak back to the free-form doom storytelling I had been unable to silence on my travels, helped to quell my terror. In March, and then again in June, I had my first full-body scans since starting this exhausting new protocol. We were utterly astonished beyond our wildest imaginings, to learn that I have had a full response to treatment. 
I have no evidence of active disease at this time. Cancer cells are still in me and will invariably try to create new constellations. But for now, and until I have reason to feel otherwise, I am celebrating another safe landing. My mantra, fed to me by my own child, is to stay in today, the reality of today. This moment, this body, this state of health and joy and gratitude, of energy, dwelling in what is, not what might be. Mm. Lori, I have goosebumps all over my body. Thank you so much for that beautiful story and reading. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, April. Mm. Okay. Well, we are going to, yes, take that exhale. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to take a quick break here to hear from one of the people who've been through a wildfire workshop. And when we come back, we will dig into your story. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hello, my name is Jenna Freed. I live in Ohio and I was diagnosed with stage zero breast cancer at age 30 in December, 2022. I recently attended a Wildfire Magazine pop-up writing workshop for the young breast cancer community, and there's truly nothing more healing than writing out my experiences. It feels like gently closing the lid of a box of unfiltered emotions that's been pouring out of me since diagnosis. With the prompts, I can open it, pull something out, examine it, and close the lid again, and it's such a relief to look at bits of my experience without that trauma. Thank you to April, Emily, and the Wildfire team for these opportunities. All right. Welcome back, Jenna. Thank you so much for your testimonial. I appreciate you. Lori, turning back to you, thank you again for this beautiful essay, 18% Chance of Light. I just, so much goodness in there. So thank you mm. for writing this piece and sharing it with us. Yes. Thank you for the opportunities, the invitation to... uh to put this into words and to share it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to start with Jack, with your mm. incredible son. Um, mm. He gave you such words of wisdom. And I love that the guides that we encounter on our life paths take all shapes, forms, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that Jack mm -hmm. has been such a a guide for you, I loved that you shared his words, not only 
now, you know, most recently, but when he was seven as well, Mm -hmm. such wisdom there too. But my question, my real question for you, I hear this a lot from people in, in my writing workshops who worry about writing our true stories where they intersect with the stories of our families and hmm. especially children. And I'm just so curious if you and Jack have talked about you writing about this and the, the intimacy between the two of you. And um, it, I, I don't know if you have talked about it. So I guess I'll start there. Is it something that, that he knows that you write about? That's such a uh, timely question because I was on the phone with Jack last night. We were catching up. He's at college. And I said, hey, I wrote a story and it it just got published. And I'm actually going to be on a podcast uh, reading it tomorrow. And he's like, wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. What's it about? And I said, well, it's, it's, about, um, oh, it's about metastatic breast cancer and lessons learned. And this particular story is a lesson that you taught me. And I said, I could tell you it or I can just share the story with you. So I, I think I'll share the whole story with you just so you can have it in context. And um, I haven't shared it yet. I will today. Um, so no, he didn't know I wrote it. He did know that what he said to me that day in Long Yerbin became my mantra because when I let my loved ones know about my diagnosis, I recorded a short video to tell them what was going on. And I said, I'm... I'm, I'm really staying in this mantra that Jack offered me. And Jack saw that video. So he knew how powerful his words were for me. And he knew I had mm-hmm. shared them, but he doesn't know that I wrote this story. And I haven't shared it with him yet. Um, he has read some of my other stories. He was obviously really young mm-hmm. when I did a lot of my writing, which was when he was like seven and eight and nine. So some of those stories were a bit you know, um, not age appropriate, I guess, at that time. But um, I think it was, you know, I'll have to ask him what he thinks about me doing this writing and sharing these stories. I I think it might have felt he may have had some self-consciousness when he was younger. I don't know if he still has that now, Um, but I think he's proud of me. (laughs) And um I, th- I think if he were here at- with us, he would say he was proud of me. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I always tell people in my workshops is your goal is to tell your story. So even when yeah. there are other characters, other people, other conversations coming in, you are still just telling your perspective of yeah of that. And that's what you've done here. Um, you're not trying to pretend to know what's going on inside of Jack's head or anything like that. Yeah. You're just yeah. sharing how it, his words impacted you. Um, mm-hmm. So I hope, I think he'll love it. And I think you're right. He's going to be very proud of you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. Well, another character that we encounter in your story, just um, somewhat loosely, is is someone who played a more prevalent role in your previous wildfire writing, which is your mother. And I... Um, I want to to bring her up because, you know, there's various lessons learned in your story. And one of the lessons I think is, is shining through, though you didn't hammer it too hard, um, but one of the lessons shining through was this idea that your mom's story is not your story. And I am talking to you now, I, 
I believe that you have now outlived your mom in many different ways, but one of which is is her metastatic diagnosis and and the time that she lived with it. And I'm just wondering, you know, how you're folding this idea that that her story isn't your story into your into your survivorship. Yeah, that's such a good question. I, you know, first of all, my mother didn't have breast cancer. She had kidney cancer, mm. which has quite a different prognosis. And she was stage mm-hmm. four at diagnosis. So it was just such a different ballgame. It was also 34 years ago. So in terms of treatment options, it was such a different time. And she was 52 and a half when she died. And I'm now 55 and a half. So yeah, I wrote that story for Wildfire, uh, the Bay Area Young Survivors issue. It was called 52 and a half. And it was about what that was like for me to have my 52nd and a half birthday and to realize that was where my mom's life ended and to recognize how profoundly young that is. And um, it really did mark, I don't know what to say. It just drew a line in the sand for me of like, okay, the day after I woke up and I was 52 and a half plus one day, I thought it's a new, it's a new storyline now. You're still here and you get to claim your own future, your own health, your own path, your own disease, your own outcomes. You can't, just because you relate to your mother in every possible way and look exactly like her, doesn't mean that her story is yours. And it's been a really, um, I don't know, just a powerful releasing of that fear, because I lived in fear, like, as I got closer and closer to 52 and 52 and a half, like, is it, is my life about to end? I really lived with that fear. So there was actually a huge freedom that came when I got to the other side of it. And I felt like, okay, I did it. Um, and now is the first page of the next chapter in this. Uh, and it felt full of possibility. And, uh, and it felt like a clean slate. Uh, yeah. Does that answer the question? I think it does. Um, And as you're talking, I'm thinking about two women in my own life that their timelines have influenced what I perceive is my timeline. One is Mm. my grandmother, who also was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. Her recurrence came 10 years after her Mm. um, early stage diagnosis. And so I realized unconsciously and then later more consciously that I was waiting for that other shoe to drop myself Mm -hmm. you know that Mm -hmm. people wanted to congratulate me at five years six years etc and I was like well you don't get it because my story is going to be 10 years because my grandmother's story is 10 years and I'm now 11 years and I, I can relate to that freedom that you describe it felt like a giant exhale not that obviously there's any any guarantees, but right. I just I really um I really thought her story was my story, and then my mom also has passed away, and she died at forty nine, and I'm forty six now, and um and so yeah, I kind of picture that my road comes to my forty ninth birthday, and there's a giant like hole in the ground, you know, and that's that's that and. It's so interesting when we can intellectually know that's not true, but but it does feel like impossible to picture anything beyond that for a long time. 
say I'm just really grateful for you speaking about it because it really resonates for me and I'm sure others listening. Um, yeah, yeah, those I other think, people. I think like, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's something that a lot of us who have lost a parent to cancer, especially a mother or same gender, same sex person, a parent is we imagine that their history, their trajectory will be our own. And there is this, it's like another opportunity to kind of individuate is to recognize we may have so many things in common, but my path is actually uniquely my own. And my prognosis and my cell biology and my all of that, my tumor biology, it's uniquely my own, my cancer type and and my life. Not just cancer, my cancer, but my life is uniquely my own and my path is uniquely my own. And it's, I think it's another uh, kind of revelation of no matter how intertwined your paths are, they are separate. Yeah, and I'm thinking about you know, Jack, for you, my daughter, Nia, you know, they will also be learning these lessons that that our stories aren't their stories either, you know, and yeah, it makes me think um, I'm coming back to your story. You know, it makes me think of this line, we begin again. Mm. And in your story, you know, it was very specifically beginning treatment again and beginning this new diagnosis phase again. But there are so many opportunities in which we do either have to do something again that we didn't want to, but also we have opportunities to try again, to learn again, to love again. And I'm wondering, you know, if there's multiple meanings in that, in that just very tiny sentence for you as well. Hmm. I mean, I think the re-diagnosis was another chance to reassess, to rediscern, you know, what is it is that I want my life to be filled with, to be about, to mean, to stand for. And so I think beginning, yeah, we begin again meant we begin treatment again, we go back to the cancer land again. But I think it also was we begin again with shining the spotlight on life is precious, life is fragile. What do you want to do with your one sweet, precious life? Because I do think there's a way in which we can go back to kind of um, our familiar rhythms, our old ways of being or doing or engaging the world or engaging our work. And I think it's, it's a, it's a, it was a powerful opportunity to think, you know, how do I really want to take care of my body? How do I want to take care of my spirit? How do I want to balance my working life with my personal life and my, my, for me, it's with traveling. Um, what, what do I want to spend my time on? What, what does this diagnosis allow me to, um, recenter in terms of what matters most to me and where my precious energy gets to go? Because it's easy to give it away. It's easy to fritter it away. It's easy to be unintentional about where you put your energy. But I think a cancer diagnosis and then a recurrence, it really offers the opportunity to say, okay, stop. What what do you want to do here? And and how do you want to live? And and that's a beginning again too. 
Yes, really is. And also a chance to begin to seek out hope in in new places and you know, bringing it back around to to your story and the title of your story and, you know, this 18% chance of, like you said, something amazing happening, something beautiful yeah. happening. Um, yeah. Even when that, that doesn't seem like great odds, it's more than zero. And Right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're reminding me, I love the concept of pronoia. Do you know that term? Like we can, it's so easy to be no. paranoid and be so the par- you know, paranoia, we're on, we're on threat detection. We're imagining terrible things happening. We can envision all the terrible things that can happen. But pronoia is sort of like having the, you know, call it irrational if you want to, but having the belief that amazing things could happen. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time on that. I love that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really, I love when I was first introduced to the concept of pronoia, it just, resonated with me so deeply. It's like, why are we giving our attention to all the awful things that could happen? Why don't we, why don't we open ourselves to the possibility of unexpected, incredible things happening? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Lori, that is such the perfect place to end. I could and would... I could and would talk to you all day long, but our time has come to an end and that's such a delicious place um, to end. So thank you for that. Pronoia. I love it. Well, Lori, where can people find you or learn more about you online? Well, let's see. Look for my stories in Wildfire. Um, if you just search for my name, Lori Hessen Pomerantz, my writings will come up. I've written, I wrote a story with Salon.com. I wrote a story for the mother company. I wrote... Um, multiple stories in three anthologies with the Bay Area Young Survivors. I wrote a story in an anthology called I Am With You, written by people with and surviving cancer. So yeah, if you just search for my name, you can find my writings online. Someone just told me about Substack, and I'm thinking I might have to start one of those at some point and collate all my stories there. There you go. Perfect. Well, we will link to you. Um, and I know you're on Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, at, at Lori Palmy. You can link to it. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Lori, thanks again for your story. Everyone, please check out Lori's story. Beautiful photographs included from the Arctic Circle. The story again is called 18% Chance of Light by Lori Pomerantz in our 2023 metastatic breast cancer issue with the theme Lessons Learned. Thanks again, Lori. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Take good care. Thank you. Well, I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young people like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Please visit us at wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our 40 plus issues in the wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And if you got value out of today's conversation, please share it with your friends and family. And if you do share it on social, please tag me. I'm Wildfire BC Community. 
and you can tag Lori as well, Lori Palmy. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, we've arrived at your writing prompt. What I want you to think about is all the stuff that you have already survived. In the beginning of Lori's story, she was talking about the surviving stuff, and we love that here at Wildfire. So your writing prompt is, I have survived, fill in the blank. So it could be morning carpool, a flat tire, the worst boss ever, maybe that weird cat you lived with for so long. So what have you survived in your life? Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing, and tell us where it takes you. And if you find that you write with a good prompt, head over to wildfirecommunity.org slash free to get oodles more that I've prepared for you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.